One of the highlights of the summer for Mike and I is a trip to the proms at the Royal Albert Hall. Now, just in case any of you don't know what the proms are, surely not, they are a series of concerts, mainly of classical music, that take place at the Royal Albert Hall daily from July to September every year. The programme is released in the spring, and we take great delight in poring over the list of what's on and deciding what we want to go to. But booking the tickets is not as straightforward as you might think. It sounds like some of you have had the same experience. This year, tickets went on general sale on Saturday the 13th of March at 9 o'clock in the morning. Now, before this time, you can go onto the website, decide what you want to go to, and register your interest. But it is only at that moment that you can actually book the tickets. So... On that Saturday morning, I was there in the study at home, connected to the internet with two separate computers and one mobile phone, trying and trying and trying to, first of all, get into the online queuing system and then waiting in line to reach the front of the queue. Now, I started off at position number 2,000 and something in the queue, so as you can imagine, it took quite a long time. Meanwhile, updates were being posted saying that a number of the concerts were getting close to selling out. Well, you can only imagine what that did for my stress levels and for my patients. When I finally did reach the front of the queue and submitted my request, I couldn't quite believe that the tickets I wanted were still available. You can imagine my relief and my delight when I finally received into my email inbox the confirmation email, which effectively said, we are writing you this email so that you may know you have got the tickets you asked for. Well, that was good enough for me. I didn't have the actual tickets at that point. They took a couple of weeks to arrive. But receiving that email assured me that all was well and we would indeed be going to the concerts. So, if you've been here with us over the last few months at church, you'll know that we've been going through this letter written by John together. He is writing to Christians who have been unsettled by the presence of false teachers who are seeking to draw them away from their faith in Jesus. And these Christians were uncertain of their salvation. They didn't know for sure that they would receive eternal life. The section of the letter we come to today is a bit like John's equivalent of my confirmation email from the proms. Did you spot it? He says in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this is all about assurance. And as we look at this passage together today, we will see that John gives to his original readers and also to us today this assurance of their salvation by painting a picture of what an authentic Christian life looks like. 
So if you've closed your Bible, could I ask you to reopen it to page 1228 as we look at this passage together from 1 John chapter 5. There's also a lilac sermon outline in your newsletter, which will help you to follow where we're headed as well. So we're going to look first at how John describes an authentic Christian life. And as we do so, we'll see that this section of the letter is a bit of a summary of some key themes that John has already covered. He's drawing towards the close here, and he brings together four key ideas that he's already introduced earlier. So we'll see what John has to say about being born again, believing in Jesus, love for God and for others, and obedience to God's commands, and how he links them all together to describe what life as a Christian is all about. So the first key idea is that being a Christian involves a new birth. In verse 1 and again in verse 4, John describes Christians as being born of God. This new birth is the one key event that marks us out as Christian. It is adoption into a new family with a new father. We are truly now children of God. Now, for some people, this new birth happens quite suddenly, and they can look back and clearly see a point in time at which they became a Christian. It was like that for me. So I grew up going to church from time to time, and I got confirmed as a teenager with everybody else. But I never really understood what the Christian faith was all about. And it certainly never made much of a difference to how I lived my life. But that all changed when I went away to university. And at the end of my first week there, I was invited to attend a Christian Union meeting. I heard a talk on the parable of the lost son from Luke chapter 15. And I realized for the first time that God was my loving father who was longing for me to return home to him. That very evening, I invited God into my life, and from that moment, I know that I have been born again as his child. But for other people, it is a more gradual process. And perhaps for some of us, we might look back over our own lives, and we can never really identify a time when we were not a Christian, And I just want to be really clear and say there is no better or worse scenario. Both of those are equally good. The important thing is that we have been born again and we are in that loving relationship with God as his child. And this leads us on to John's second key idea in these verses, which is all about believing in Jesus. So he talks in verse 1 about everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And in verse 5, about he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what we believe is important. But John almost seems to be adding an extra layer of confusion as he goes on to verse 6. Because it doesn't exactly seem to clarify the situation, does it? What does he mean when he says Jesus came not by water only, but by water and blood? Well, 
we need to remember the context into which John was writing this letter. One particular strand of false teaching that was current at the time was called Gnosticism. Now, the Gnostics taught that Jesus was just a man, not God. Okay? But the divine nature, the God bit, descended onto Jesus at his baptism and left again before he died. So that when he died on the cross, it was just as a man, not as God dying in our place. So John is making the point here that the Gnostics have got it totally wrong. What John says is that Jesus, the Christ, so that's the God bit as well as the man, he did not just come by the water of baptism, but by his blood shed on the cross as well. Not just water, but water and blood are critical to a proper understanding of Jesus' life and death. And in verse 7, John points to three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, that testify to the truth of what we believe and provide evidence for it. So, first the water. And that points to Jesus' baptism that marked the beginning of his earthly ministry. Now, in the Gospels, there's plenty of evidence of the teaching, healings, and miracles that Jesus performed during his life on earth. And if you have never read a gospel from cover to cover, why not give it a go? They are all a great read, so start wherever you like. But if you want a recommendation, I would particularly say Mark is a great one to start with. And you can read it in under an hour. So what's not to love? So that's the water. The second witness is the blood. And this points to Jesus' death on the cross. And again, it's in the Gospels that we read of Jesus' death and resurrection. As he took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sin, in order to open the way for us to be in relationship with God. So water, blood, and the third witness is the spirit. If we are born again as God's children, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us as an internal witness providing evidence for the truth of what we believe. So we've seen two of John's ideas so far. Firstly, new birth, and secondly, belief in Jesus. And I think the order of those two is important as well. Once we have been born again, it's important to seek to actively grow in our faith over time. So for me, in my first week at university, I was very much a baby Christian, knowing just enough about the gospel in order to know that I wanted to know more. And over the years, I've sought to grow deeper in faith by reading the Bible, by spending time with Christians who are older and wiser than me, and by reading books that have helped me to understand more about what I believe and how to put it into practice. Now, by this time next week, our usual summer reading table will be out in the foyer. 
And I'd love to encourage all of us, and I include myself in that, to get hold of one book this summer that will help us to go deeper in our faith. And of course, it's not just about buying it, it's about taking it away and reading it too. Feel free to ask me in a week or two's time if I have done that. So, new birth, belief in Jesus. And thirdly, John's third theme is love. He says in verse 1, everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So our new birth brings us into a loving relationship with God as our Father and also makes us brothers and sisters with one another. As we grow in faith, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to help us to love God more and also to help us show love to one another. Now, there are several different words in Greek for love, but the one that is used here is agape, which is an active, sacrificial, self-giving kind of love that isn't just a fuzzy emotional feeling, but is a commitment to action. And this leads us on to John's fourth key idea, which is obedience. He says in verse 3, this is love for God to obey his commands. Now these themes of love for God and others and obedience to God's commands have cropped up again and again throughout John's letter. But I think what he's stressing right here as he seeks to assure his readers of their salvation is that faith, love and obedience flow naturally out as a result of being a child of God. Let me just pause for a moment and ask you to reflect on how you feel about this picture of a Christian life that John is painting. Do you think that John has achieved the goal he set out to of making you feel more confident and more assured of your salvation by painting a picture of an authentic Christian life that closely matches with your own experience. Or perhaps you might feel that John is being a bit unrealistic here and that in the day-to-day reality of our lives in the real world, we can't possibly live up to these ideals. And if so, where would that leave the question of assurance? How can I be sure that I have eternal life? when my day-to-day life is a million miles away from the picture of faith, love, and obedience that John is painting here. Well, I think it's important to remember that earlier in this letter, John has acknowledged the reality of sin in our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So none of us is able to completely live up to these standards. But John doesn't expect us to be able to. We all sin and fall short in our lives. But the important thing is how we deal with sin. 
And again, John guides us here too in chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Coming to God in repentance and receiving his forgiveness, as we have done earlier in today's service, is a vital part of what it means to be in relationship with him as our father. He loves us and will forgive us. All we have to do is ask. And I think it's important to keep short accounts with God. So one good way of doing this is to build in confession as part of our own daily prayer times. Perhaps in the evening as we seek to look back over the day that's just finished. Giving thanks to God for ways in which we have seen him at work. And saying sorry for specific sins that come to light. So sin is a real presence in our lives. But let us remember again the work of the Holy Spirit who lives inside us and transforms our hearts. John also says in chapter 3, verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. So when we are born of God, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who changes us from the inside out over time so that we do not continue to live in habitual patterns of sin. Rather, our lives will increasingly be characterized by patterns of faith, love for God and others, and obedience to his commands. And this will provide the evidence we need to assure us that we have indeed been born again and we will receive eternal life. As I draw to a close this morning, let me just say a word to, perhaps, to those who are perhaps here today but might not call yourself a Christian. Perhaps you might be wondering what relevance these questions of assurance have for you today. Well, we've seen John describe what it looks like to live as a Christian. And can I encourage you to take these words as an invitation to consider entering into this life with God for yourself? And if you'd like to know more about what that means and what it looks like, then do have a word with me or with Linda afterwards. And we'd love to help you find out more. I began this morning by sharing my experience of booking tickets for the proms and how I was uncertain of the tickets until I received the confirmation email. Well, for some of us, we might perhaps find ourselves uncertain in our walk with God and question whether we can really be sure that we will receive eternal life. Let us hear and receive the assurance that John gives us here. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen.